Welcome to the ENA Podcast. Welcome to the ENA Podcast. This is Dan Campana, Senior Manager for PR and Communications at the Emergency Nurses Association, welcoming you back, whether you're a first-time listener or you've been with us since we launched the podcast series earlier this year. We wanted to get one more episode in before Emergency Nursing 2019 uh, kicks off in Austin uh, in just a couple of days. And um, we've got a, a, one of our, our uh, presenters that will be a part of our closing, closing session, but also has got a really great perspective on something that's important uh, in the emergency uh, department setting. So I want to welcome uh, Dr. Nahid Dasani to the podcast. Uh, welcome, Nahid. Thanks. Hi, Dan. Thanks for having me on the podcast. So one of the uh, the things that you know jumped out uh, right away is that uh, as part of our closing session, we're we're focusing on sheroes and heroes, and really just uh, people from across multiple disciplines who have done some really amazing things, and it, just to really bring some great stories to our audience uh, in Austin. I don't want you to give away the store, but talk a little bit about what uh, you know why you're a part of this and why it's important to to share the story that uh, that you've got uh, for our closing session. Absolutely. First of all, it's uh, such an honor and I'm very grateful to be part of such an amazing event that is uh, coming up and I'm really excited to meet everyone in Austin. But um, led me to uh, be be there is um, is is really my experience uh, working as a palliative care physician and uh, very early on in my training, um, exposing myself to uh, providing care for individuals who experience structural vulnerability, including homelessness and poverty. And um, very early on in my training as a resident, I had a young um, uh, patient or client um, pass away um, and die in my care uh, working in a shelter. And if you come to the session, and you'll hear about how the client um, presented and how um, uh, a, a series of events led to his demise. And it was a, a very sad and tragic case that led me to a journey um, that, as uh, you know, five years later, led to the development of a mobile uh, a palliative care program in the streets of Toronto, Ontario, Canada, that provides palliative care outreach for Toronto's homeless and vulnerably housed. So no person falls through the cracks, whether they live on the street, under a bridge, uh, or in a shelter. Um, and it's called PEACH, Palliative Education and Care for the Homeless, a program of the Inner City Health Associates. So you're the, the founder and lead physician of PEACH, and you're going to give us at, at in Austin a little bit of a uh, the background of how you got to that point. But what really for you um, triggers the the idea that I need to do a little bit more and to get involved and to really create something that can make such a direct impact because everyone in healthcare in healthcare has an opportunity to make an impact every day but to go that extra step um, again without giving away the entire story but you know what what <laughs> sort of um, motivation did it take for you to say I, I need to do a little bit more and do something to this scale. Well, absolutely. There's the narrative of the story that led me down this journey, but there's also the evidence and the facts. Um, I quickly learned later on in my training um, about the health status of homeless individuals, um, and um, I quickly learned that this is that the homeless represent um, uh, one of the sickest subpopulations in the country of Canada. In fact, um, the homeless. Um, uh, have life expectancies that range 34 to 47 years old. That means they actually um, die at a rate that's 2.3 to 4 times higher than the average Canadian baseline population. They're 28 times more likely to have hepatitis C, 5 times more likely to have heart disease, 4 
four times more likely to have cancer. And so we're dealing with one of the subpopulations um, in the country, and yet um, folks are not receiving the care they need. And yet a palliative approach to care, an approach to care that emphasizes quality of life and well-being is one that really resonates for folks who are dealing with um, a precarious housing and serious illness. And so it made sense to me to meld these topics and bring them together in a way that had not been done before. And herein lies the, the, the new model, which, which eventually was established as the PEACH program and has now been replicated in cities across um, uh, Canada and around the world. So when we talk about the emergency department, uh, I think you know everybody who listens and is an emergency nurse or is, works in an emergency department recognizes um, the the issue that homelessness is and how that ties into uh, caring for patients and the frequency at which patients who are are having you know are, are homeless or having other uh, you know displacement issues how frequent they can be represented in the um, in the emergency department. So from a care standpoint right. or from an emergency nurse perspective, how does palliative education and care for the homeless, how does that sort of all culminate uh, in a way that, you know, can be applied maybe, you know, uh, you know in, a, in a real time sort of opportunity as opposed to having to go through process and procedure and, and all sorts of other structural type things? I mean, is this about just being human and compassionate and understanding or really take us through how those things are sort of tied in when you're coming from the emergency nurse perspective? That's a really great question, and I can totally understand and the perspective of, of our listeners and colleagues who work with me um, on the streets or in emergency departments or in acute care settings um, who, who recognize that the emergency department is a very difficult and challenging place to deal with um, structural and social determinants of health like homelessness or palliative care needs or both at the same time. You can imagine that that gets really, really complicated. Yeah. But what I, what I, what I um, uh, try to tell folks who work in the acute care setting and specifically the emergency department and and nurses are 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 a, an incredible profession founded upon the principles of social justice. Um, so, so very passionate folks who are in a perfect position um, to, to seize what, what, what I call opportunity. And, and I, I break down that, that opportunity into three ways. Um, the first is the idea that in the emergency department, there is no better time when people present with the, the sequelae or symptoms or complications of serious illness to identify people with palliative care needs. And we phrase that in the palliative medicine world is the early identification of palliative care needs, whether it's a fall, whether it's um, a person who's um, now experiencing an exacerbation of their COPD or a pain crisis due to cancer. These are actually opportunities to identify when a palliative approach to care should start. The second opportunity of three is the idea that this is an opportunity for intervention. And while the emergency department is really great at managing heart attacks and blood clots and trauma, it can also be an excellent uh, venue for um, uh, us to actually intervene and start conversations that can sometimes be difficult. And I know those are very quick um, interactions from time to time, but even the beginnings of conversations about, um, have you thought about the future and what that looks like? Where do you wanna be as your disease progresses? I'm not saying the entire conversation has to happen in an emergency department, but some of the best continuity um, cases where continuity of care have occurred has occurred because folks in the emergency department have stepped up and began those um, conversations. And finally, the third opportunity is connection. We receive a lot of referrals uh, from our emergency departments to the PEACH program, from emergency nurses, actually, who are on the front lines of care and seeing folks coming in over and over, dealing with palliative care needs and symptom needs or chronic disease needs, who are 
are dealing with life-limiting illness. It may not be a referral to a palliative care program. It may be referrals to housing, to social work, or social supports in some other way. So I, how I view this, Dan, is an opportunity around early identification, intervention, and connection. How much of this is also about, uh, unfortunately, stigmas exist in a variety of ways. And if you're an experienced uh, nurse, you may, uh, you know, just, in, you know, without, you know, it, it's not, uh, you know, it's not something that you probably choose to think, but, you know, you may get a little bit of, of a jadedness, you know, towards certain, you know, well, why don't these people help themselves? Or if you're brand new, maybe you have misconceptions about the homeless, but homelessness population. Uh, but so when you're thinking about stigma, how do, how do you break through that a little bit to make sure that you're getting to the point, like you said, where you're not just focusing on the clinical, what do we fix now, but you're also, and, and also what's what's next and how can you have a, a, continuum, a continued level of care and get the help that you need. But sometimes just that initial getting past the cover of the book can be the, the issue, correct? Absolutely. I, I think I think the, the, it goes without saying that there is a significant body of knowledge and literature out there to showcase the fact that we, health professionals in the community and in acute care settings, discriminate people who live in poverty and who experience vulnerable housing or, or, or people who are homeless. Um, and, and a recognition of that bias and discrimination is very important at the outset. But where does that discrimination and bias come from? Um, it, really it really begs the question of how we think about folks who live in our society and people who experience structural vulnerabilities like poverty and homelessness. There is a body of people out there who believe that um, people are in this position because they did it to themselves, quote unquote. And 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 really, that is um, one perspective. But it the view of the social determinants of health. We know that over 60% of what makes people um, sick uh, is how they live, learn, work, and play, not really access to a nurse or clinic or doctor or hospital. Um, but how come there are inequities in the social determinants of health? And that actually stems from what we call the structural determinants of health. Um, and this, the, 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 the structural determinants of health are what we might see at the roots of a tree, while the social determinants of health, housing, and employment, income, social networks can, can be the branches. And the inequities and structural determinants of health happen because of interacting power and social hierarchies that define health disparities and social disparities in our communities. Racism, discrimination, colonialism, um, ableism, xenophobia, transphobia, so on and so forth. And it so it really depends on your worldview and how you view these issues. But uh, it, it really does boil down to the fact that in the emergency department, for our, for our listeners, um, we, there is a unique opportunity because, because um, and I'm sure many listeners would agree that do present in the emergency department, whether it's around housing, whether it's around income or social supports, it represents a unique opportunity for us to work together and support people who are structurally vulnerable. And as you mentioned, you, you said this program has now been replicated many times over, both in Canada and the United States. And unfortunately, the issue of homelessness is certainly, you know, it, it seems to be growing and, and there are, are certainly pockets around the United States where homelessness has, um, you know, seen, for lack of a better term, you know, a little bit of an explosion. So as those populations seem to be spiking, uh, the demand for this type of um, program or facilities is only going to follow behind that, I would imagine. So um, if you're in a community that does not have this type of, a, you know, it, it does not have a peach type model program available, 
is there sort of a, a first step that somebody who is really concerned about the care for the homeless population, is there really a, um, you know, a first step that they can take to, to really get people thinking differently about how to approach this population in their health care? Yeah, I mean, I can answer this probably on a couple levels. The first I, I'll answer is is really um, rethinking how we think about a palliative approach to care. And in a lot of um, uh, uh, health and social care communities, um, uh, a palliative care approach is only initiated when someone is diagnosed with a terminal illness well um, and that would be like you know uh, a diagnosis like cancer or end-stage heart failure for example however um, the the diagnosis or the disease of homelessness um, cuts a person's lifespan by 50% as per the data that I just mentioned so you know we think of homelessness as a terminal diagnosis of the social determinants of health it's a palliative diagnosis of something we don't often think of outside of medical charts it's the social factors which impact health um, and healthcare outcomes um, and so if we start to think in our communities about the way that poverty and homelessness and other social factors are impacting people's quality of life and their quantity of life we might be to better meet people's needs earlier in their disease trajectories and earlier in their lives. Um, when, when we are told by an oncologist or a nephrologist that a, that a peach client's um, prognosis is a certain amount of months or years, we usually divide by two because lives in half and we're, we're usually right as sad as that sounds that's sort of on one level rethinking what the early identification what the factors for early identification of palliative care are the second is rethinking um you know why pro Programs like the Inner City Health Associates Peach Program even need to exist. Like it is a sad state of affairs that a peach program needs to exist. I'm sure you would agree, Dan. Um, and 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 the reality is uh, we need to think about better upstream healthy policies. A lot of people sometimes joke with me and say, "Hey, you're like a downstream health provider. Um, uh, who are you to speak about upstream healthy policies?" Well, there's no greater time to look at a person's life um, than downstream to see the accumulative um, uh, uh, impacts of inequity and, and, and lack of support around the social determinants of health and at the end of life. And that's what we see through the PEACH program. But what we also see through the PEACH program is that if upstream healthy policies were available to support people, people would not suffer a housing strategy like Housing First, where people get the housing help they need um, right away rather than having to jump through hoops. Um, uh, Pharmacare and Medicare, which is something we're proud of in Canada, yet we don't have a Pharmacare program where people get medicines that they need. Um, a guaranteed annual income is another example of a, a, a upstream healthy policy. Upstream healthy policies around, um, uh, around food security, around income security, so on and so forth. So really, if we want to want to help communities, um, you know, uh, with this issue, we really need to prevent homelessness, and that would be to end homelessness and support healthy housing strategies that are public health policies. So you can kind of see that the, the advocacy that we do through the Peach Program, and we think about, um, occurs definitely at the micro level where we interact with clients in the communities on the streets and in shelters but also at the MISO level where we're thinking about our region our city our neighborhood our community but also at the macro level where we start to think about it's great that we do this work at the micro level but why do we do this why do we need to do this if we thought about things at the macro level with public health policies um, and more healthier policies that I had mentioned we might not even need to do what we're doing at the micro level so it kind of comes full circle and I look forward to exploring all that on multiple levels in Austin 
Absolutely. And, and, you know, you've, t- you've touched on, you know, all the different layers that this affects from a social perspective to the clinical perspective. So there's a lot to digest there. And certainly there's a lot that you've touched on, you know, in, in your career. And what jumps out, you know, I'm looking at your, your resume and there's two things that you describe yourself as, as an optimist and as someone who's often wondering what's a life worth. So at this stage in the, 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 uh, the journey that you're on relating to Peach and you know, all the different things that you've been exposed to in this realm. Um, you know, how, how hard is it to be an optimist at times? Or are you really finding the answer that there is a lot of value to life? So it's worth being optimistic that you can find these solutions. That's a great question. And, and, and lately, the, the Peach team, our nurse coordinator, Sasha, and our uh, Peach physicians that work on our team have, have been really um, talking about this a lot. And one thing we've been talking a lot about are, are the reasons why health providers, um, for example, nurses who work in emergency departments, why is, is it so difficult sometimes to, 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 to um, take on such topics? like homelessness and palliative care. And a lot of the time we hear it's because of burnout and compassion fatigue. And I, I'm not a big fan of the term burnout. I'm more of a fan of the term moral injury. And I think there, there are micro moral injuries that are occurring every day in our workplace that make us feel that we are not empowered and that we don't have the ability to enact and, and support change, uh, whether it's in the clients we serve or through social change or through health policies. And I, and I hope and I hope that perhaps the PEACH program and its inception and the work that, it's does, that it does and will continue to do is an example of how we can take passion and compassion and convert it into the kind of care that people need. And, and I think what I really want to want to zone in our in on our two concepts that I think words that get thrown out, but they're often misconstrued. The, the two words are equality and equity. And, and, and in reality, um, our healthcare system is pretty good at equality. We're pretty good at giving people the same things um, to make them happy and healthy. But what we're not so good at is equity giving people what they need to be happy and healthy. And again, a topic um, and, a, and an issue that I look forward to exploring in Austin, but, but that's what makes me optimistic about the future, that, that, that we recognize the importance of equality. And I dream of a world where we move towards equity and we can, we can design health systems that move people towards their own empowerment where people can get what they need. And, um, and, and, and that, that, that is what, that's what care is about, and that's what a that's what a life is worth. Well, Dr. Nahid Dasani, your uh, your passion for uh, for all of this is, is you know palpable in, in just hearing you talk. So I <laughs> can only imagine that the uh, audience in Austin is going to pick up on that when they hear your story about really how you began uh, to focus in and hone into the level of expertise that it really sounds like. You know, you've you've got on this because of what you've experienced and and how you want to continue the march in the right direction, both socially and clinically, uh, to help this population. Um, so I, I, we we thank you so much for being a part of the podcast today, and certainly thank you in advance you, for man. for being a part of uh, Emergency Nursing 2019. So uh, anything else you want to add before we let you go today? I uh, know that's it. I really appreciate it, and look forward to meeting everyone in Austin. Well, very good. So, you know, that'll do it for the latest episode of the ENA podcast. We thank uh, Dr. Nahid Dasani, and I look forward to seeing him in Austin. And as we uh, we march and count down the final days here, you know, anything you need to know about Emergency Nursing 2019, be sure to check out ENA.org slash ENA19 or download the Emergency Nursing 2019 app, which has 
every bit of information you could possibly need to know, floor plans, uh, session schedules, games, uh, interactive feeds, and social media ties, uh, everything is there. So download the app before you get to Austin and uh, you'll be able to have a chance to interact, engage, and learn from a wide variety of speakers, uh, including Dr. Dasani. So that'll do it for this episode of the ENA Podcast. Uh, We thank you for listening and we will talk to you next time.